Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. I want to um, ask you to open up your Bible. You have your Bible with you this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, then get one. Amen. Uh, You also have a Bible app that you can install on your phone. It's the only reason to be using the phone in church. But, amen. Exodus chapter 3, if you join me there. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to turn our attention to a familiar story from the Word of God. But before we do that, I want to share with you a little story from uh, last month when there was a group of us that went back to our mother church in Chandler, Arizona. We attended a Bible conference there. And to my great surprise, I met a friend there that I didn't know was living in Arizona. He had moved there. He was a, a person that I had known from the time when I was a missionary. My wife and I lived as missionaries for four and a half years in the nation of Bulgaria. While we lived there uh, from the year 2005 through 2010, we made very good friends with a brother in Christ whose name is Vitaly. Vitaly. He's a Ukrainian guy. And he had been saved in a church in Bucharest, Romania. Him and his wife And they were disciples there. We became pretty good friends. Some of you remember he has actually preached for us uh, uh, maybe a couple of years ago. We had him uh, via via Zoom conference, and he preached to us from uh, where he was pastoring at the time in Moldova. So without going too deep into the story, uh, they were able to acquire an emergency visa because of everything that's happening in Ukraine. He's a Ukrainian citizen, and they were able to come to the United States. It was an incredible miracle. They were sponsored by one of our churches there. And so to my great delight, we were there in Arizona. I made contact with him. He says, I'm living in Tempe, 15-minute drive away. Maybe we can go have lunch together. So we did more than that. We, we spent time, and actually he invited us over to their house. Uh, they have an apartment living in Tempe, Arizona. Him, his wife, two daughters, uh, just wonderful family. And, and uh, we were catching up with them and getting to know them as, as you do after you haven't seen somebody for a long time. And I happened to ask them a question that the answer that they gave was quite surprising to me. Uh, because I know what it's like to travel to different nations, I asked them, What has been the hardest adjustment for you to make uh, coming out of Eastern Europe and now living in Tempe, Arizona in the United States? Well, to me, what what is uh, is the hardest adjustment? And I I had assumed that it would be, you know, Walmart, you know, going to the shopping center. I remember coming back from overseas and just being overwhelmed by a Walmart shopping center. But what, uh, what their daughter mentioned was something very interesting and Uh, What I want you to think about today, she said, you guys don't take off your shoes. Now, if you have ever traveled outside of America, especially Asia, 
uh, in, in places uh, uh, in even the Middle East or even places in Europe, one of the things you'll discover pretty quickly, you go over to somebody's house, you leave the shoes at the front door before you go in. And there's a long tradition about that. Now, we don't get it here in America. We just walk in with our dirty shoes wherever we go. But if you've traveled, uh, this, uh, this little article I found from the nation of Hong Kong, where this is common practice, the reason that they do this is to protect the cleanliness of interior floors. This is a legacy that comes uh, from a time when roads and footpaths were commonly filthy, dirty, wherever you go. There's also superstitions that would enforce the rule. They, they've come to the place where if you wear outdoor shoes inside... This can bring bad luck on your house. It's a metaphor for germs into the home. And so uh, because you also don't want to go barefoot in the houses, so a lot of people have the slippers. This is, this is like necessary equipment if you're going to have your own house. You have the pair of shoes that you wear when you go outside. Then you come inside like Mr. Rogers. You take off the outside shoes and you put on the inside shoes, the slippers, right? Those are the ones that they use to beat their children, too. But taking the shoes off at the door is a very interesting and common practice in many places around the world. And what what is the reason for that? Number one, it keeps the bad stuff outside. And number two, it provides for a more intimate and a personal connection on the inside. And so we're going to read in our scripture one of the sources that this tradition came out of. It's the story of when Moses approaches the burning bush. And I want you to think about this with me this morning because I have something God wants me to share with you today. And this is a message I've titled, Take Off Your Shoes. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And the scripture, reading from New Living Translation, says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go to see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses replied in verse five, do not say the words, do not, do not come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I'm praying that your people would receive your word today. God, that you'd give me an anointing God that is not of myself. I'm praying, God, that you would speak to hearts this day. Encourage us, Lord, to enter into new levels of promise and destiny and purpose for your kingdom. And I'm praying that you would use this people, use this church for your glory. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. God's people said, amen. Take off your shoes. Let's start with the thought of the baggage claim. Don't you wish you could skip the baggage claim? One of my pet peeves is, you know, I wish that I could pack everything into a teeny tiny little bag that I could just take with me wherever I go. But you know, you know how it goes whenever you travel. You are constantly fighting the urge of taking more stuff with you. 
And, uh, you know, th- there, are, there are people who only fly southwest. Why? Two bags free. That's it. That's all I need. Two bags free. Uh, I'll pay extra for the ticket. Uh, and, and every time, you know, when you travel, you go through the airport and you have to go to the baggage claim, the time when you just so glad to get off of the airplane that you just want to run. I don't know about you. I just want to run out in open fields like uh, like sound of music and just be free of that airport uh, funk. But you can't do it yet. You have to go to the baggage claim to pick up your bags. Now, we are going to think about the baggage that Moses had picked up in his life. Now, it doesn't say it here in this scripture, but you have to know about Moses. In this moment, he is at least 80 years old. Think about that. He's 80 years old. That means he has 80 years of history on planet Earth. There's a lot of things that have happened to Moses. Even though this is only chapter 3 in the book of Exodus, we learned about the beginning of his story in chapter 2. And we have two little brief glimpses into Moses' life before this moment. We read in chapter 1 about the situation that the Jews are in. They're in slavery. They're in bondage in the nation of Egypt. And then in chapter 2, we read about his birth, how he was born, how he was protected by his mother, how he was put into the little basket in the Nile River, and how he was rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. Pretty much everybody knows this story, right? Okay, but Moses, in that story, was just a little baby, right? It was things that were happening to him, not decisions that he was making. Fast forward. You can fast forward to the next little chapter we see about his life, and that is the time when he kills the Egyptian. And that's the time where he, uh, you know, he's about 40 years old at this time, so he has lived, he's grown up in Egypt, He has grown up as a grandson of the Pharaoh. That comes with some perks and some benefits, doesn't it? And so he has grown up uh, eating the finest foods and learning in the finest schools. Uh, Let me ask you, how do you think his fellow Jewish people would have thought about him in that position? They probably wouldn't have liked him very much. Yeah, Moses, who does he think he is living in the house of Pharaoh while we are slaves being, being whipped every day and building all of the castles for Egypt? Yeah, Moses, he's fed with a silver spoon. He's not one of us. Eventually, some moment in his life, Moses looks out at the bondage of his people. And from on high, he gets a little spark in his heart when he sees one of the Egyptians beating one of his fellow Jewish brothers. Something rises up in him. Everybody familiar with the story? You've probably seen the Prince of Egypt, right? And something rises up, and he wants to defend his people. And what does he do? He looks this way, and he looks that way, and he kills that Egyptian. And then the Bible says he buries him in the sand. Now remember, he's 40 years old. 40 years have passed that got him to that moment. And then after that moment, He kills the Egyptian. He is filled with fear. He runs away from his responsibility, from the evil that he had done. He runs to to, uh, Midian, and then we meet him again after 40 more years. I'm taking the time to explain this because I want you to understand, Moses has lived a lot of life here. He has lived a lot of life, and what do you think happened to him when he ran away from this murder? Do you think the Egyptians thought fondly of him? 
No, they, they said, Moses, what a loser. Why would he kill one of the people who helped to raise him and gave him so many opportunities? And uh, what an ungrateful loser later on for him. So now he's been rejected by his own people. He's also been rejected by the people that raised him, the Egyptians. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Moses to live in that condition? Maybe some of you can get an idea of what it's like to be rejected by everybody around you, to be looked upon with scorn. And so this is where we meet him in this chapter, chapter 3. Now he's 80 years old. For 40 years now, he has been living with the shame, not only that he was uh, scorned by his own people, but also that he ran away from murdering this Egyptian guard. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about him during this time. Apparently, it's not a life that was worthy of record. But what we do know is this. The land that he went to live in is called Midian. Do you know what the name Midian means? It means strife, contention, or discord. And the Bible's, when the Bible has names for places, it is a reflection of what is in the heart of the people that are living in in that place. Now his whole life experience up to this moment has led up to a version of Moses that if you met him the day before this burning bush, you would probably not like him and he would probably not like you because he's a man full of bitterness and contempt and anger and fear. No wonder he became a shepherd. Do you know why people become shepherds? Because they don't like people. And because people don't like them. And so the best place to be is out on the hills, in the countryside, with the sheep. Do you know why? Because sheep never ask you why you don't reconcile broken relationships. Because the sheep will never confront you about the evils in your past. Because the sheep aren't going to ask you, what are you going to do next with your life, Moses? All the sheep do is follow him. And he's not answering these so important questions about his life. And maybe this morning, the reason that I want to preach this to you, Moses has picked up some serious baggage in life. He has claimed some bags that he is carrying around with him that are not really good for him. He is carrying around so many things that are hindering him in his future. Do you think that Moses had any grand idea or plan for his life beyond that moment? Do you think that Moses, in his heart, was thinking, you know, one day, you know, one day God's going to use my life. You know, one day, uh, uh, you know, God's going to help me rescue millions of people. No, to him, that was the furthest thing from his mind. He could not fathom in a thousand years that God would even have anything to do with him. Moses, he was frustrated at himself. And how many people have I encountered that are in the exact same place? They've come to a church service like this. Maybe you're here this morning and you look at the events that have brought you to this moment in your life and you say, God could never use a life like this. God could never get involved with a person like me. I mean, Moses, he looks back and he sees murder and rejection. And to his mind, and it makes a lot of sense, there's no, there's no place for me in God's plan. There's no place for somebody like me to do something great. I'm just a shepherd, and that's all I'll ever be until I die. That's where he's at. 
And how many people have I met in that exact same spot? Just the things that I've been through, the abuses, the pain, the difficulties of this life. I've been through rejection and uh, I've been I've been through all the wickedness of this world. And yeah, you know, I'm here, but there's no way that God could ever do anything special with me. I'm just a washed up sheep herder with a sordid past. See, I want you to think about this. God looked at Moses and what did God see? God saw a future deliverer. What did Moses see when he looked at himself? He saw nothing. He saw a loser. He saw a failure. And I'm saying to you, could it be this morning you're looking at yourself and saying all the reasons why you can't be what God wants you to be? But you're here today. I'm telling you, we serve a God who's bigger than your past. We serve a God who is able to deal with the baggage that you're carrying with this morning. Are you with me? Now, let's see how did Moses get from that point into his destiny, because it's very important for us. Now, first of all, the Bible says that he saw something that sparked his curiosity. Say the word curiosity. Now, I have always been a naturally curious person. That can be very dangerous when you're on YouTube. You can follow the rabbit trail down all kinds of different holes. And, uh, and so it's not bad to have curiosity as long as it's under control. They say curiosity, what, killed the cat. But there is a certain strength, I think, to looking into things that you have not encountered before. We see this in Moses. In verse 2 of our scripture, it said, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. And though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. And he said to himself, this is amazing. Now, the thought here in the original language, we don't get it in the English, but it's in the Hebrew. There is the thought that it's not just that the bush was burning. That wasn't the amazing part. The amazing part was that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Now, how do you think Moses would have noticed that? It would have taken time. If all he did was to pass by and see the bush burning, yeah, whatever, no big deal. But because of Moses' curiosity, he lingered there for a moment to watch. Because normally, you watch a bush. If it's dry, it'll burn for a few seconds, and then it will diminish. But Moses was curious enough that he his attention was fixed, and he watched it long enough to notice, wait a second, something different about this bush, about this fire. There's something strange here, and that's where his curiosity was sparked. This is something that moved him out of his typical routine. As an 80-year-old man, how many know you get set in your ways? You have a routine. You have certain food that you like at certain times. You take a nap at a certain time. You put your shoes on a certain time. You go to bed a certain time. And it's easy to get set in your ways in life. And here's Moses at 80 years old. His curiosity is enough to spark him out of the typical routine. That's a wonderful thing. But it's not enough. From there to destiny, there is still some steps that have to be taken. And the reason I say that is because there's many people who come to church, who approach spiritual things with the same kind of intellectual curiosity that Moses had. There's something going on here that's different than the normal. 
I heard a testimony. I saw a video. I heard a sermon. I read a scripture. I said a prayer. And something sparked in me. That's a good thing. But don't be satisfied with that. Because that's not the same as Moses entering destiny. The reason I say this is because I see lots of people who have a spiritual experience. Who go to a concert and feel some goosebumps in their heart, right? And they have a little, a little spiritual moment, a little religious activity. And that's not bad. That's a good thing. That's leading you to something. But don't stop there. It's not the same as destiny. It's going to take something more. Moses' curiosity was an important part of his story, but it's not the most important part. Secondly, Moses heard a call. Are you with me? Verse 4, when, Lord, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, see, God noticed his curiosity. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. But then God says, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. This is a step closer to the Lord, isn't it? That he was personally called by God. Now again, no doubt this is a wonderful and a powerful thing that God called his name. Moses, I have something for you to do. And the Bible says that we are all called to do something for God. Isn't that true? He doesn't save you without giving you a job. Some God has something for you to do. But some people don't believe that. Some people believe they're saved to sit on a chair for the rest of their lives. No, God has a calling for us. But here's the thing. Calling enough. Calling is not enough to accomplish the will of God for your life. Matthew twenty two fourteen. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. I'm so grateful that God called my name when I was a 16-year-old kid. Just barely old enough to make any sense out of life. But see, the calling in itself is not enough to, to bring you into destiny. Every one of us here, I believe there's been a time in your life that you heard the voice of God, the Holy Spirit prompting you to obey Him. He called you to do something for Him. Whether it was to surrender 
a part of your life to sacrifice something to him. Maybe to start tithing and giving. Maybe it's witnessing. Maybe it's living holy and letting wicked things fall off of you. Preaching the gospel. Entering ministry. A call to lay down your life. You've heard the call to do something greater than you're doing now. I want to tell you the call by itself, again, is not enough. A call has to be answered. Just like your phone. You can get a phone call and it can ring, but in Gen Z, people don't talk on the phone anymore. They'll watch it ring. Ring, ring, and they'll let it go to voicemail. And nobody listens to voicemails anymore. And so if you really want to talk to somebody who's under the age of 25, you got to text them, right? And they'll watch the phone ring and let it hang up, and then you text them and they'll text right back. Just like that. Okay? And there's a reason for that. The calling alone is not enough. A call has to be answered. And so this is where, from up until this moment, Moses has been getting closer and closer to the destiny God has for him. Stick with me. And God has been letting him, right? First he sees the bush. He's like, whoa, what's that? Then he stays and lingers and notices it's not burning up. Whoa, this is amazing. And then he gets closer and he, he hears the voice of God speaking to him. And he's like, whoa, well, hold on. Let me, get, let me get a little closer. And it's at this moment where God says, stop. Do not come any closer. Isn't that a little weird? Don't you suppose that God wants you to get closer to him and that he wants to be closer to you? And in this uh, seeker-sensitive church generation we've been in for the last 30 to 40 years, uh, the only message that the church has had for our culture is, come and get closer. Come as close as you want. Come and join our big event over here. Come and uh, eat some free food and, and come and have a good time and watch our entertainment and listen to our, uh, our, our amazing musicians and come as close and close as you can get. Isn't it strange then that God says, stop right there. You can't get any closer unless something changes. Something has to change in you, Moses. I want to talk about the word devotion. Can you say the word devotion? What does that mean? Devotion means to be dedicated, consecrated, or solemnly set apart for a particular purpose. God has to draw a line in the sand for Moses. He says this far... And no further, Moses, do not come any closer. This was a warning. Don't do it, Moses. If you cross this line, it will not be good. This far and no further, because not just anybody can enter into this place. Now, God will do this in your life. He will spark curiosity. He will even begin speaking your name. He'll even begin to give you a little sneak preview of things that are to come. But there will be moments in your life when God says, stop right there. There's something that needs to change before we go any further. I'm glad that you're curious. I'm glad that you've heard my call. I'm glad that you're seeking me out. But there's a danger. Listen, be, be, be careful right here. There is a danger that you can spend years and decades of your life at the place where God said, stop. In your Christianity and in your faith, there's times that God will say, before you proceed, you need to take off your, sh- your shoes. 
And I believe this morning God gave me this word because there's some people here that you have entered to a certain place in your faith. You have come to a certain, maybe a plateau of of uh, trusting God and serving Him and following Him, but you've been stuck and it just seems like things aren't advancing. And you're not following Jesus the way that you know you should. And could it be this morning that God has said to you, stop right there. You're not going to go further until you remove this thing from your life. Now let me tell you why I'm preaching this message. This week, I served as a juror in a court case. And it was not the kind of experience that, uh, that anybody would wish to have, unless you're a sick and twisted individual. Now, I was happy to do my civic duty. I was there to serve. But can I be honest with you? I sure wish that I would have had a different case. Because, essentially, the case that we were listening to was two different sides of a rape accusation, and it was like living a porno movie over again. And it was horrible, to be honest with you. And I did not enjoy very much of it. Uh, If I ever needed another reason not to drink alcohol, that was it. (laughs) Because two people, uh, under the influence, had differing versions of something terrible that took place on this night two years ago. And so for three days, I'm listening to these testimonies, and then, or two days rather, and then for, on the third day, uh, the jury has to convene and has to come into this little room, and we have to, then we have to go through all the evidence ourselves and talk about it and convince one another whether uh, the guy should get a guilty or a not guilty verdict, right? And so I, we participated in that. Um, I wish that it would have come out one way, but it came out a different way. There was a couple of jurors that were not convinced by the evidence, uh, even though the rest of the room wanted to give him a guilty verdict. Uh, but because we did not agree, we ended up as a hung jury. And so there's consequences for that. You have a girl who has been accused, accusing of rape, and now she has to go away with the sense that justice was not served. Then you have this guy who most likely is guilty of rape, and he goes away from the thing with, with a smile on his face. Yes, I didn't go to jail today. There was no good outcomes to come out of this. And so now I'm left this, the rest of this week. We were in revival this last week, right? So, man, what a week for me. And got, can I be honest with you? Now God is calling me to have a word to speak to you on Sunday morning. And if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to proceed further in the will of God, I have to have the ability to put some things in the past if I'm going to move forward. I want you to look at those shoes that are up on the screen. Remember, this is a sermon called Take Your Shoes Off. Now, if you were out walking in the mud like that, and you came to your front door, and you have nice new carpet on the inside of your house, you're not going to be able to come in with shoes in that condition. Am I right? You've got to leave them at the door. If you're going to go in and spend time with your family and have a nice meal and you're going to uh, be with your children and your family that you love and you're going to participate in all the things that the home has to offer, you're going to have to leave those things outside. We love you, but leave your shoes outside. This is what God spoke to me. If you're going to move forward, you've got to put these things behind you. And may I speak to you the same thing this morning. The will of God is ahead of you not behind you. The purpose of God is in front of you, 
not behind you. Think about Moses. He's got history. He's got baggage. He's got pain in his past. But God is calling him when he says, take off your sandals. Yes, it's, it's a picture of the holiness of God. But he's saying, Moses, there are some things in your past that if you're going to move forward, you can't hold on to them. You can't do it. We live in this world, don't we? We wish that we could just like be vacuumed up into heaven immediately after we get saved. We wish that we could be free from the filth and the wickedness that this world has to offer. We pray for Jesus to return so that, you know, we can, we can meet together with him and finally be free from the curse of sin. But reality of the world as it is now, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. And the reality of living in this world is even as a Christian, even as a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to go through some things that are going to leave you with filthy shoes. You know, I'm so grateful that once a week, there is a guy on a big truck who comes to pick up my trash. You know, that's such an everyday part of life. You don't even think about it. But isn't it amazing that there's a guy on a big truck who comes every week and takes all your crap and gets rid of it for you. Isn't that wonderful? Because the reality of life, if you live life, you're going to make trash. This is true physically, right? You live it. You can always tell which houses don't have anybody living in them. You know how? No trash can. This is the sign of life happening. We make trash. And thank God, We have a guy on a big truck who comes and dumps the trash. That is wonderful. Your body is the same. Listen, uh, you have have a kidney. You have a liver. You have a digestive system. And thank God, you eat the crap that you eat, and your body filters out what's good and gets rid of the rest. That is a sign of a healthy human being, yes? And if you are not doing those number ones and number twos, You go and you see the doctor. Something's wrong with me. I'm not making trash. I want to tell you, spiritually, you've got to be able to take out the trash sometimes. So some people, it's bitterness. There's some kind of offense in your past, and and somebody said something stupid to you. And, you know, at some point, you just got to be able to say, God, you got to deal with that person. Take out the trash. I can't handle it, Lord. I want you to handle it. At some point, because the, the danger is, you can get stuck right there. Have you come into the service this morning wearing shoes covered in the filth of something from your past? You know what Jesus said? He, is, he was commissioning his disciples, and he was telling them to go preach the good news, right? And there was a moment where Jesus said, there's going to be some places that you go they won't want to hear what you have to say. You have the best news that has ever been given. You have the Holy Spirit. When you pray for people, they're going to get healed just the same way I do. But he promised them, you're going to go to some cities. They don't want to hear it. And what did Jesus say to them? In Matthew 10, 14, he said, whoever does not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or that city, shake the dust. Don't get stuck there. Don't remain there. Don't get bitter and twisted up. 
throw out the trash of what happened there and move on to the next city. But the reason I'm preaching this and the reason I know it can be easy is because I've gotten stuck. I've gotten stuck on something that somebody said or did. And wherever that point is, God says, you stop there and you, until you take that, take those nasty shoes off, you're not going any further. What happens finally as we close? What happens when we remove our shoes? Shoes. Look at what happened to Moses. Verse five, he took his sandals off. The place where you stand is holy ground. Say holy ground. When you take off your shoes, you are entering to a new dimension, a new level with God. See, for Moses, this place was just desert. He took off his sandals and took one step. Holy ground. It reminds me of Jacob. He's out there in in, in the middle of nowhere. He lays down his head to take a nap. And God gives him a dream of the ladder of angels ascending and descending, right? And he wakes up from this dream and he says, I didn't even know it. But this is the very temple of the living God. I went to bed. It was just another rock on the floor. I woke up and this is the very house of God. When you take off your sandals and you let go of the baggage of your past, what seems normal can become holy, can become special. Second, he received a revelation of God's character. Verse 6, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He says, God says to Moses, let me tell you who I am. I want to reveal myself to you. And I want to know who you are. There is another level of knowledge and relationship with the Lord. This is not just church on Sunday. Can somebody say amen? This is, I want you to know who I am. Number three, there there comes also a personal conviction of sin and a need for purification. In verse six, it says, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. It's not until you realize how holy God is that you also realize how wicked you are. Can I tell you, Moses was carrying around the same sin for 40 years. It's only now in this moment that he sees God that he realizes, I need to repent. It's like Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the Lord, uh, uh, when he saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and because of this vision he had of God, his first words out of his mouth was, Woe is me. Those words, it means a curse is on me. I am cursed. I am damned because of my sin. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And he begins almost uncontrollably, profusely uh, beginning to confess his wickedness to God. Because why? He saw the Lord. When you see the Lord, when you have a vision, when you begin to understand who God is, it will drive you straight to your knees say lord i need to be cleansed and purified the people who walk around and say no i i, I don't need to be forgiven i'm good you know what that tells me they don't know the lord if you think that you're good as you are it tells me you don't know who god is you don't know who jesus is because when you know him you will have an overwhelming sense of i need to do better i need to be forgiven I need to be cleansed and purified. Finally, when he took off his shoes, he received a personal revelation of God's heart and God's commission for his life. Verse 7, 
where God says to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. See, Moses, he probably hadn't thought about it for a long time. But you know, his people were still slaves. For those 40 years, he might have he got out of there, but his family, his friends, and all of his people, they were still in bondage. And go, even though Moses forgot about him, God didn't forget about him. He says, I have a purpose for you, Moses. I have something for you to do. And guess who is the only one qualified to do it? That'd be you, Moses. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Me? Serious? No, not me, God. Yeah, don't you remember the things that I did? Don't you remember I spent 40 years feeling sorry for myself in Midian, the land of confusion, the land of division and strife, the land where I spent beating myself up? God, I'm certainly not qualified. And he gives God some more reasons why God can't use him. He says, who am I that I should? Who am I? Who, who do I think that I am? God deals with that. Says, yeah, but I'll, I'll give you a staff. I'll, I'll cause miracles to happen in your life. And then he says, yeah, but Lord, I am not eloquent with speech. I don't know how to speak, Lord. Some people think that Moses might have had some kind of a stutter with the way that he spoke. But guess what? Is there anybody eloquent? And if you think that you are eloquent, you're already disqualified. So Moses, his excuse of I am not eloquent, and God doesn't, he doesn't jive with that. Aren't I the God who made man's mouths? Moses. And so God dealt with these problems. But what I'm saying is, It only happened when Moses decided to take off his shoes, take off his sandals, and enter in to his destiny. I close with this thought. The most, one of the most important organs in your body, I know we talk about the heart, the brain, the internal organs, these are all very important. But you know what else is really important? The one that everybody can see. Your epidermis is showing. Your skin. If your skin is unhealthy, it makes the rest of your body unhealthy. What does skin do? It keeps the good stuff in, and it keeps the bad stuff out. And in some cases, it lets some things in, and it lets a few things out. Skin is an amazing thing when it's working well. But skin, if it's not working well, if it's diseased, or if pores are clogged, or if, if you, if you, uh, you know, get a rash, or if you scrape off your skin, uh, it can lead to very bad things. Infection, disease. Can I tell you, we have to have some spiritual skin also to allow what, got, what is good to come in and to get rid of what does not belong. There has to be a barrier. I want to challenge you this morning to unlock the next level of your faith. Some of you, you've been holding on to things that have been holding you back. I want to challenge you to take off your shoes. The place where God has said, stop right there. But if you'll do this, you can enter into a new level with God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. We'll close our eyes. I appreciate your attention this morning. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts 
or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.